welcome to Come Follow Me with Free, episode 47, Fully Places. Hello, everyone. I am truly so glad that you're here. I want to let you know really quick before I kind of get going that if you want to get to know me better personally, you can go to my Instagram. It's comefollowme underscore with Brie. And I try and post more of my personal stuff there. I <laughs> barely have time, I feel like, right now to get to prepare this podcast episode. And so my content on there is much more personal and just not a whole lot of amazing religious content that I see other podcasters putting out there. But my goal on there is just so that people who listen to me have a place to go where they feel like they can get to know me personally. So that as I'm telling you these things, as I'm telling you not to treat the gospel lightly and all of these things, that you don't feel like it's just coming from an empty voice that you don't know. So if you want to get to know me better personally, go hop on Instagram and follow me there. Secondly, I want to talk about how amazing it is to watch my numbers each week. And I don't mean that in a way where I'm just like, yes, so many people are are listening to me and care about what I have to say. But it's it's really the only feedback I get to see that people are listening. And guys, I remember when, I mean, it's not like I have like thousands of listeners right now, but I remember when it was just a few, like when it was just 20, 30 every week. And I feel like Heavenly Father has always helped me have the point of view with this, that no matter how small the number, no matter if 10 people listen that week, that this was not a waste of my time. I always try and think about each one of you. Like when I look at my little counter throughout the week a few times and I see my little number tick up one or two, I think about how incredible that is that you, whoever you're listening, you are a real person out there with, with thoughts and feelings and a life and a life that heavenly father cares about and, and wants to see succeed. And maybe you were led to, to this podcast episode because you because I'm going to say something that you might need to hear. And so I remember thinking whenever there were just, you know, just a few people listening, I'm like, I think we can get caught up sometimes in, in our world of social media and having so many followers and seeing people with literally millions of followers and thinking that somehow just a few views is somehow a failure. But Heavenly Father has given me the perspective this whole time that when I see 10 listens. I think of 10 real people in front of me listening to what whatever the spirit has to say through me. And guys, that is an amazing blessing from Heavenly Father. Think about it. We have the gospel here on the earth. Think about in Joseph Smith's time and saying that the gospel will go to all the earth. And we are seeing that prophecy fulfilled. Do you think that they could even imagine how incredible it is that I can sit here in my bedroom and quite honestly in my pajamas and speak to people all around the world? That's just mind-blowing to me. And I want you to know that whoever is listening that you are an individual to me and that I am so sincerely Happy you're here and that I, I hope that you get whatever you need today out of this episode. And on top of that, I hope that you guys can feel my sincerity and feel 
the desire that I have for anyone to hear what they need to hear. And I ask you to please share if this touch, if this episode touches your heart, if a previous episode touches your heart, please share it because I truly see it reflected in my numbers. I see more people listening. I can tell when you guys are sharing more and it's one so rewarding for me to see that heavenly father is supporting my efforts, but also just amazing to see each individual number go up and know that that individual that that those numbers represent a real individual. So thank you so much. I just want to really quickly, before we kind of move on to our real topic for today, I want to talk about something that I was reading this week in Alma. And it really hit home for me because in this chapter, chapter 29, Alma is expressing just his grand desire to preach the gospel. Listen to this. Oh, that I were an angel. And could have the wish of mine heart that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. Yea, I would declare unto every soul, as with a voice of thunder, repentance and the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon all the face of the earth. But behold, I am a man, and do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. I really feel Alma in these verses because he just has this incredible desire to be an angel that he can go forth and speak with the trump of God and a voice to shake the earth. Sometimes I've had those thoughts where I'm like, ah, wouldn't it be amazing if this podcast could reach so many people and that I could be an instrument in God's hands. But I also feel and have been, I feel like as I've asked heavenly father to help my desires be pure, I felt, like he says, content with what the Lord has given me. And what he's given me right now is you who are listening. And I am so grateful for every single one of you. And so to you who are listening, I will declare unto all of you with a voice of thunder and repentance the plan of redemption, because that plan was made for you and me individually. And I am so grateful that I was born here on the earth now today to have the amazing, incredible opportunity to talk to you. And with that, let's get started on what we're talking about this week. This week's sections are a little unrelated to each other. At least that's how I see it. Even though ultimately, of course, like we always talk about, because I always feel like I circle back to the same topics because the gospel ultimately all comes back to the same thing. All scripture is related. So section 85 was addressing some problems that the saints in Missouri were having in living the law of consecration. And apparently Bishop Edward Partridge had been a little bit soft on those who had been refusing to comply. So in this section, the Lord is warning those members who are not following direction given by the Lord and also warning Edward Partridge in his treating lightly the instruction he's been given about how to fulfill his calling, which I think has some definitely has some good lessons in there for us for how we should be treating our callings and how we have been directed to fulfill them. It talks about also a mighty and strong one that would be sent in order to set the affairs of Zion in order. But Bishop Partridge repented and started doing what he had been asked to do. And that warning never had to be carried out. Then in section 86, it is about the parable of the wheat and the tares and the priesthood. 
I love the parable of the wheat and the tares. And especially since we talked about a couple weeks ago, we talked about symbolism and thinking about why the Lord uses it. And it really made me think about all of the parables the Lord uses and how much more information and depth we can get out of them continually throughout our life because he explained the principles in parables rather than just saying it plainly. I'm going to give you a short recap and tell you throughout what each symbol is symbolizing. The sowers, which represent the Savior and his apostles, plants the wheat, which is the gospel and the righteous, in a field which represents the world. Then, while he is sleeping at night, his enemy, Satan, came and planted tares, which is false doctrines and the wicked, amongst the wheat. As the wheat grows, so do the tares. If the tares were to be weeded out, as the reapers, which who are the angels, asked, while the wheat is young and tender— a lot of the wheat would be destroyed along with the tares because they look very similar, and the young wheat is delicate. So the wheat and the tares are allowed to grow together until harvest time. At harvest time, which represents the second coming, the wheat is gathered, meaning Israel is gathered. And once the wheat is gathered, the tares are gathered and burned, which means the wicked and Satan's kingdom will be destroyed at the second coming. So much good stuff, and I really encourage you to read through that parable and really ponder and try and get a lot out of it. Because when the Lord uses symbolism, there is so much more than is what is just surface level, what I just told you to be gotten out of that symbol or parable. So just to give you a couple little tidbits to kind of get you started as you study that, I want to just tell you two things about this parable. So why use the plant called tares in the, his parable? Well, for one, they are hard to distinguish in the early stages from wheat. And then additionally, Bruce R. McConkie said this, Traditionally, tares have been identified with the darnel wheat, a species of bearded rye grass which closely resembles wheat in the early growth period, which is found in modern Palestine. This weed has a bitter taste. If eaten in any appreciable amount, either separately or when mixed with bread, it causes dizziness and often acts as a violent emetic. And emetic means induces vomiting. So one more quote about the wheat and the tares. Wilford Woodruff said this about the angels who are reapers in this parable. So they, they want to come down and they want to get rid of the tares, but God holds them back because the, the wheat is still too young and tender. So he said this, God has held the angels of destruction for many years, lest they should reap down the wheat with the tares. But I want to tell you now that those angels have left the portals of heaven and they stand over this people in this nation now and are hovering over the earth waiting to pour out judgments. And from this very day they shall be poured out. Calamities and troubles are increasing in the earth, and there is meaning to these things. Are we seeing calamity and trouble increasing in the earth? 1,000%. So I think that's comforting to think about what he said. He said, calamities and troubles are increasing in the earth, and there is meaning to these things. So calamities and troubles aren't just increasing, and it just means that our life is going to get super hard. There is meaning to these things. There is a reason that it's happening. And it is because all things that the Lord has prophesied, have told us that will happen, will happen, including the fact that he will come back. All right. So again, really study the wheat and the tares this week. This, you can get so much more than I'm giving you right now. So let's move on to the section that I really want to focus on today, which is section 87. It is a prophecy on war. It was received on Christmas Day in 1832, which is interesting to think about because on the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, we receive a revelation about war and all the wars that will commence until he comes again. 
Joseph Smith is receiving this revelation when he was praying about slavery. And one reason that I love this section is we get to see more evidence that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God. In verse 1, he prophesies where the beginning of the civil war will start. It says in verse 1, Verily thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and misery of many souls. So at the time that this revelation was given, it says in the Come Follow Me manual, South Carolina had just defied the United States government and was preparing for battle. So it seemed like this prophecy would be fulfilled very soon, but then it wasn't. Within just a few weeks, South Carolina and the U.S. government reached a compromise and the war was averted. But revelation is not always fulfilled at the time or in the way we expect. Nearly 30 years later, long after Joseph Smith was murdered and the saints had moved west, South Carolina did rebel and the Civil War followed. Every student of United States history is acquainted with the facts establishing a complete fulfillment of this astounding prophecy. In 1861, more than 28 years after the foregoing prediction was recorded, and 10 years after its publication in England, the Civil War broke out, beginning in South Carolina. The ghastly records of that fratricidal strife sadly support the prediction concerning the death and misery of many souls. Through this constituted but partial fulfillment, it is known that slaves deserted the South and were marshaled in the armies of the North and that the Confederate states solicited aid of Great Britain. While no open alliance between the Southern states and the English government was effected, British influence gave indirect assistance and substantial encouragement to the South, and this in such a way as to produce serious international complications. So there, he's referring to verse 3 where it says, The southern states will call on other nations, even the nation of Great Britain, as it is called. So it's interesting to me that it just says that the southern states will call on other nations. It doesn't necessarily say that they will have an alliance and that they'll work heavily together, or however, I don't know how that would be phrased. But it just says that they will call on them, which did happen, and then did cause further complications. So it's exactly, it's happened exactly how it's laid out in this section. So this whole sequence of events of Joseph Smith revealing this section, this revelation, and then not till 30 years later is it realized. It's so revealing to me. Do you think if you were one of the saints in this time and you read that prophecy that your faith would be shaken when the prophecy didn't quickly come to pass like it looked like it was going to? This is just further evidence that the Lord does not work in our timeline. It makes me think of promised blessings of marriage or motherhood or even just happiness and fulfillment that you think that you will have in your life or is in your patriarchal blessing and a person who hasn't received those blessings yet, I'm sure that most of them thought that those blessings would be realized by now, but they're not. I'm sure Joseph maybe, and, and especially those reading it, thought that the Civil War was about to erupt like it looked like it was going to because South Carolina was embroiled in this conflict with the United States government, and then it didn't. So I think that shows us the wisdom in just having faith that the Lord will fulfill all things that he has said. Elder Angel, I think is how you say his name. I might be saying it wrong. Abria, with Nephi, we can say that he is mightier than all the earth. We can know and testify of his omniscience. And with Lehi, we can say all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Based on that knowledge, cemented in a strong testimony of the attributes of our heavenly father, the faithful Latter-day Saint, 
Instead of despairing because a goal on his or her agenda was not realized, because his or her timetable does not bring a solution to the problems, or comfort does not come to calm the troubles of today, waits patiently for fulfillment of promises according to the Lord's timetable, the Lord who knoweth all the times which are appointed unto man. The faithful Latter-day Saint waits patiently because certainly faith, the assurance of things hoped for, is exercised with the conviction that the promises will be fulfilled in his own time and in his own way according to his own will. Let's point out another important part of verse 1. It says, Verily thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and misery of many souls. So wars, more than one war, speaking of all of the wars that have poured out ever since the Civil War. Can you think of wars that have happened since then? This section always has been a little bit confusing to me because it's not super clear what it's talking about. Like I think at first because it's talks specifically about the Civil War that when you're reading it, it, you kind of feel like that's all it's talking about. But that plural at the beginning of verse 1 is important because we can see that it applies to many wars and that the Civil War is just where it started. And then one of the other ways, other than the plural wars, that we see that it's talking about more than just that little narrow window of time is we move all the way to talking about the second coming and that time, which is now. <laughs> and so we see that this is covering a wide span of years. But to the Lord, it's a pretty short span of years. So that's always a fun thing to try and work out in your head. <laughs> so obviously, this section talks a lot about wars and other things that will come to chasten the world, including famine and plague and earthquake and storms. In verse 7, it says that the cry of the saints and of the blood of the saints shall cease to come up into the ears of the Lord of Seboeth from the earth to be avenged of their enemies. Who is the Lord of Seboeth? I might even be saying that wrong. I probably should look that up. So Seboeth means armies. So it means Lord of armies, also translated as the Lord of hosts. And who is the Lord of hosts? The, the Lord. <laughs> so what is one reason he chastens the earth according to that? Because all things will be reconciled. He hears the cry of the saints and the blood of the saints, and he wants it to cease to come up into the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. So think about that. All things will be reconciled. All injustice, all unfairness, all persecution will be avenged because he is a perfect and just God because he has promised the faithful that all wrongs will be made right and that the evil that happens in this world because of the marvelous gift of agency will be answered with perfect justice. He also chastens the earth in order to refine those who are here, to separate the wheat from the tares, to try our faith so that we can come through it all better and more like him, to gather those who spiritually survive and thrive so that his eternal purposes can be realized. Why are we here? To be refined, to grow, to have our hearts changed so that we can become as he is. So how can we become as he is? How can we do that? How can we become as he is? I was thinking about it today when I was reading the Book of Mormon in 2 Nephi chapter 4, verses 31 through 35. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because my heart is broken and my spirit contrite. 
O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me, that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me about in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape before my enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way, but that thou wouldst clear my way before me, and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy? O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of the flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of the flesh. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in a man, or maketh flesh his arm. Yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me, if I ask not amiss. Therefore I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and mine everlasting God. Amen. Just listen to what Nephi is saying. I know that my God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Something that's always been amazing to me is reading in the scriptures when the prophets say that I know I'm going into the rest of my, my God or, or that, that I'm excited to meet the Savior or I know that I am saved. And I think, do I know that I'm saved? Do I know that that will be a good meeting? Do I know that I've done what I can and that the Lord will be pleased with me? And somehow I've thought that that felt prideful to to say that I know that or to say that I know that I've that I've done what I can and that I I don't know like it feel it feels like do you know what I mean? It feels like a lack of a lack of humility to actually think that and assume that I know what his judgment will be, that he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So when the prophets have said that in the scriptures, I'm just like, man, where do they get that confidence? And that question is answered here. It's not about what you think of yourself. It's not about that you think you are so awesome and so righteous and so deserving. It says, I have trusted in thee and I will trust in thee forever. It's about trusting the Lord. It's about believing the Lord when he says, I will take upon me your sins and you are forgiven. So when the prophets say that they know they will be saved, I think it's less about that they think that they are perfect, but they know that he is perfect and that all of his promises will be fulfilled, including their salvation. If like Nephi says, they have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, because that's what the Lord has promised. And then could we ever ask amiss by asking questions like Nephi asked, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou make me so I shake at the appearance of sin? Wilt thou shut the gates of hell before me because my heart is broken and my spirit contrite? And on and on. Nephi asks those questions and he said, I know that my God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Do you think that you asking those questions Asking the Lord to strengthen you and guide you and help you shake at the appearance of sin? Could that ever be asking amiss? The Lord will give liberally if you ask these questions. And that leads perfectly into the last verse of this section. It says, Wherefore stand ye in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord come? For behold, it cometh quickly, saith the Lord. Amen. How do we stand in holy places and be not moved? 
Harold B. Lee said, I have learned something of what the Spirit has taught, and I know now that the place of safety in this world is not in any given place. It doesn't make so much of a difference where we live, but the all-important thing is how we live, and I have found that security can come to Israel only when we keep the commandments, when they live so that they can enjoy the companionship, the direction and the comfort and the guidance of the Holy Spirit of the Lord, when they are willing to listen to these men whom God has set here to preside as his mouthpieces, when we obey the counsels of the church. Standing in holy places comes from obeying the commandments of the Lord so that we can have the companionship of the Holy Ghost, so that we can claim the blessings of a promise fulfilled that the Lord will give liberally to anyone if we ask not amiss. And being not moved comes from the power that is created when we obey the commandments, thereby creating these holy places in our hearts, rooted in the Savior, that gives us power to be not moved. We are not commanded to try not to move. We are commanded to be not moved. And I'd like to echo the words of Nephi when I say that I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them to accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. He has commanded us to be not moved. And that is possible because he has commanded it. But it is only possible through relying on Jesus Christ, through continually repenting, and through the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Some hard stuff has come our way and is going to continue to come our way. We have been told in a lighthearted way by President Nelson to take our vitamins and get some rest in order to prepare for what is to come. But then more seriously, he has told us that it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, and comforting influence of the Holy Ghost. It will not be possible to be not moved without that without personal revelation. All of these things are available to you through obeying the commandments, through not treating what we've been given lightly, through asking the Lord to be protected, to be made to shake at the appearance of sin, to be encircled in the robe of righteousness. And all of these things are available to you because God will give liberally to those who ask with a heart that is broken and a spirit that is contrite. Ask Him to change your heart. I had the most profound experience in sacrament meeting on Sunday. I don't really have a good way to describe it because it's not like it was events or or something physical for me to describe. It's like my whole life, I didn't know how to step outside of my own mind, outside of my own self-centeredness. I didn't know how to change my heart. I wanted it, but I didn't know how to really get there. I've been asking the Lord to change my heart. I've been asking him to help me and my desires be more sincere. I have been asking him to help me see people around me as he sees them. I've been asking to feel like I know him personally, like he hears me and knows me and in a truly tangible way. Faith is a hard thing here on earth. I've always hoped, I've always even believed that all of this is real, but sometimes I struggle to really feel I can believe it, but really feel that he is there with me. And in sacrament meeting on Sunday, I felt it. I felt my mind being expanded. I felt my perspective being more aligned with his. And I felt him there with me. And ever since Sunday, With that profound experience, I have pondered it. I have kept it 
special and sacred in my heart. And at any given moment since Sunday, I feel him with me. I feel like I know him. I feel like he is my friend. And I know that I need to treasure this experience and keep it in my heart. Keep it at the forefront of my mind. Because I feel like I've never just experienced a long lasting over days where I just felt at any moment like I could access that close contact with the Lord. Ask God to create in your heart a holy place, a holy place from which you cannot be moved, a holy place that will withstand anything Satan can throw at you. Because from that holy place in your heart, there is nothing amiss you can ask. When your heart is a holy place, it is a place that the Lord will protect and preserve. Let's go back to my favorite scripture that I will read to you again and again. And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation. That when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Stand in holy places. Create an actual physical holy place on earth here in your home, a place where your heart can be nurtured, where your children's hearts can be nurtured and be continually softened and humbled and broken. Trust the Lord and all of his promises, because he has promised that when standing in these holy places, when your heart is a holy place, you cannot be moved. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.